The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. The Fed kicks off its two-day policy meeting today, likely capping it off with its first interest rate hike in years. On Wall Street, stocks under pressure yet again after the S&P does something for the first time since the start of the pandemic, plus new technical signals of a possible recession. After shedding more than 8% yesterday, oil sinking again this morning as crude now dips below, yes, below $100 per barrel. Also under pressure, Chinese technology as the sector's biggest ETF wipes out all of its gains going back to 2013. And the war in Ukraine grinds on with both sides set to meet yet again today. It is Tuesday, March 15th, 2022, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Hewen for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Tuesday morning with stock futures pointing to more losses. Now, you can see here the Dow is implied lower by roughly 190 points, the S&P lower by 25, and the Nasdaq down by just about 60 points. A close eye on that Nasdaq trade. It has been the more volatile one of the three major indexes here in the U.S. This is all coming after a mixed session yesterday with the Nasdaq posting outsized losses compared to the broader market, shedding more than 2%, as you can see there on the day. The Nasdaq is now off more than 22% from the record high that it set this past year. And according to Bespoke Investment Group, at 115 days, the Nasdaq is now three days away from being in its longest correction phase since the great financial crisis back in 2008 and 2009. It's not just tech weakness, though, at home. The sell-off in Chinese technology stocks also showing no signs of slowing down right now. The Nikkei actually was up about two-tenths of one percent, but the Hang, Kang in Hong so- the Hang Seng in Hong Kong rather down nearly six percent, and the Shanghai Composite, mainland China, down about five percent in that trade there. So a very, very big thing still going on. Today, the Hang Seng in China Enterprise ETF is coming off its biggest drop since 2008. That's something to watch. Similar story for China's largest tech ETF. The Crane Shares China Interest Fund, Internet Fund, is now, you can see they're down about 4% of the pre-market trade. It fell 11% yesterday and has now wiped out all of its gains going back to inception in 2013. Just take a look at some of those year-to-date losses. Take a look at Alibaba, JD.com, Baidu. Alibaba down 40% year-to-date, JD.com down 42%, and Baidu down about 31% as well. We'll be hitting much more on this story throughout the course of the hour. Also checking bonds as the Fed kicks off its two-day policy meeting today. The 10-year Treasury note yield just above 2.09%, so a slight tick lower in yields. The two-year Treasury note yield 1.81%, the last trade there. And this is, again, after shedding more than 8% yesterday. Let's talk about the oil trade. It's down once again this morning. WTI U.S. benchmark crude now $97.27. Remember, just in the last two weeks, we were at $130.50, a steep correction there. 
World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $100.95, still off about 5.5% as well. Let's now get a check on the early trade in Europe. Our Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with the latest there. Good Tuesday morning, Rosanna. Good Tuesday morning to you, Dom. And yeah, as you put it there, Asia, really something we're looking at here. Macroeconomic fundamentals across the board in Europe as well, inheriting that very weak lead from Asia, translating it like that. The FTSE 100 down around 1.5%. Now the Cat Cajon in Paris, the DAX in Germany, moving in stunning lockstep at the moment, but down 2.5% almost in the red. Of course, a lot of this is to do with Ukraine. Hopes for those peace talks later on Monday, but many of those hopes pretty muted, it must be said. Let's see how the sector-driven story is uh, playing out here. And as you can see here, it is media and utilities, that slight defensive basket that's doing a little better, but every sector in the red currently, those two down by around three quarters of a percent. Uh, meantime, though, you're looking at basic resources, almost four percent in the red, oil and gas around almost three percent down as well. Now, you also mentioned this, the China COVID risk, that story playing heavily into this at the moment, including in that basic resources idea. Omicron, absolutely spreading through certain provinces and causing shutdowns, obviously. I'm sure you're going to go into it in the show of many major factories. So that is something that's going to play into supply chain. It's going to play into inflation. And it is going to play, I'm sure, into that Fed meeting that the way we're waiting the outcome of. All right, Rosanna Lockwood in London. Thank you very much for the market update from Europe and Asia. Back here at home, the negative sentiment ahead of the Fed decision were this week and amid the war in Ukraine is still going strong. The S&P 500 is down 12.5% year to date. According to Bespoke Investment Group, that's the fourth worst start to a year in the S&P 500's history going back to 1928. It trails only 1935 during the Depression era and 2020 during the pandemic. And then, of course, during the 2009 great financial crisis. Is this a precursor of more bearish weeks and months possibly ahead? Let's bring in Ivory Johnson, founder of Delancey Wealth Management, a CNBC contributor and a member of the CNBC Financial Advisor Council. Ivory, uh, let's talk about whether or not investors should be worried or should they think about this as an opportunity to be a longer term investor and buy on the cheap? Well, I think wealth never disappears. It just shifts. And I think you take into account the current environment, which is GDP growth on a rate of change basis is actually slowing. And this was this was already happening before any talks of the, the Fed raising rates or uh, the, the, the Russian invasion or any supply chain issues in China. I mean, if you think about uh, federal spending is going to decline by one point three trillion dollars, that's six percent of GDP. Uh, and, and so this was already coming to pass. You can see that represented by a, a flattening in the yield curve. Uh, you see high yields uh, declining. So their rates are going up, which tells you that the market already thinks that corporate profits are going to slow. Uh, and so given the current environment, you just want assets that are more defensive in nature so you can preserve some of your capital in the event that the market continues to decelerate further. So, 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 Ivory, where, where are those spots in the market then that, that, are, that are on your shopping list? What, what do you want to buy now if it's not big tech, which has been the consensus trade for yeah. arguably, arguably over a decade now? Well, anytime you have you know, growth slowing, and by the way, inflation on a rate of change basis might be slowing as well. Uh, but when GDP is, is, is decelerating, you want to own things that historically do well in that environment. One of those things would be gold. Um, the, the other the other issue I would buy, and it sounds counterintuitive, is I would have long bonds. And, and that's, again, represented by you seeing the flattening of the yield curve. I think that could actually get worse 
we talk a lot about inflation, that's going to destroy consumption. And, and so that's going to be a further drag on GDP. I think you'll see that long bonds become a safe haven investment. And that's another area I put some of my clients' money. All right. So from from a risk perspective, then how exactly I mean, everybody is different in terms of their stage of life, their their goals and, and, and when they need the money. But your clients, what is their biggest concern right now and how are you adjusting portfolios to adjust for those types of issues? Well, as you mentioned, you have a lot of clients who are getting closer to retirement. And, and so the last thing they want is, is, to, is a duplicate of 2000 or, or 2008 where there's a big drawdown. Remember, if you lose 25 percent of your money, you need 33% just to get that, get back to even. And so from a risk management standpoint, you, there are certain points in time where you don't try to get too crafty, where you don't try to outsmart yourself, and you get a little bit more defensive and you try and preserve capital. I think this is one of those times because not only is GDP growth, growth slowing, but the Fed is now going to tighten into that environment. Sure. And I think that becomes very difficult for stocks, particularly in the second quarter, when many of these comps, you know, if you compare... 2021 growth um, to, to 2020 growth, right? Because we had COVID in 2020. Right. So the growth looked particularly well when you compare it to catastrophic circumstances. And so we're going from, from great to good, and that's bad. And so in this environment, you want to be particularly defensive. And that's, that's what my clients are hearing from me. And that's what the concerns that they're expressing as well. All right. Ivory Johnson with a cautious trade there in the cautious tale. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. You're very welcome. To Ukraine and the fighting now in its 20th day with peace talks expected to resume this morning. But that's not stopping the Russian offensive continuing to shell major cities, as you can see there, including Kiev, the capital, Mariupol and other points in the south as well. All this as Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is set to address congressional lawmakers tomorrow. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington with the latest there. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Dominic. Well, President Biden could be traveling to Europe soon. Multiple sources tell NBC News that details have not been finalized, but the president would focus on the war in Ukraine and reassuring NATO allies. From striking an apartment building with sleeping civilians inside to hitting a Ukrainian military base, Russian forces continue their relentless attacks. It certainly appears as if the Russians are broadening their their target set. The U.S. is working to get $200 million in supplies to Ukrainian forces fast. Defense officials say the country's resistance so far has frustrated Russian President Vladimir Putin. He clearly has more than a message in mind here. He clearly has the occupation of of Ukraine in mind. U.S. leaders are concerned Russia is desperate, reaching out for military and economic aid from China. Chinese leaders call it disinformation. The State Department warns assisting Russia could be costly for them. We will not allow any country uh, to compensate Russia uh, for its losses. As Ukrainians flee to safety, Ukraine's president is preparing to address Congress in a virtual meeting Wednesday. It will be a privilege for us to hear from this champion of democracy. President Volodymyr Zelensky is expected to again plea for a no-fly zone or fighter jets. I believe that we're going to end up in a point where we have to basically go toe-to-toe to some version with Russia anyway. Russia is the one, let's be clear, they're the ones escalating this fight. The White House has focused on sending other defensive weapons instead. A presidential visit to Europe could follow in the coming weeks. 
And only lawmakers on Capitol Hill will attend President Zelensky's virtual speech in person. Uh, but there will be a live stream for public viewing. Dom. All right. Bree Jackson with the latest there from Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. When we come back, torn between Powell's policy playbook and stagflationary risks, what TD Bank's Priya Misra is expecting from the central bank tomorrow and beyond. Plus, much more on that China tech sell-off, why one industry insider says despite the risk-off appetite, it could be a huge longer-term opportunity for investors. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for some of this morning's other top stories, including another member of the gig economy helping its workers offset higher fuel costs. Bertha Coombs is here with that and more. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Dom. Let's start first with Honeywell's CEO. He says the decision to suspend operations in Russia following the invasion of Ukraine will not be a major headwind. The company announcing last week that it would halt all sales distribution and service in Russia and Belarus. CEO Darius Adamchik spoke with Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night about the implications. It has some implications, but it's the right thing to do. You know, it's a little bit north of 1% of our overall shares. Our manufacturing presence there is relatively small. It's two manufacturing facilities. Did, did you so just give it big. to the government? What happens? So, you know, we'll see what happens. We're monitoring the situation. I think it's anybody's Fluid. guess as to what happens next. As for inflationary headwinds, Adamchik says Honeywell supply chain and raw material costs have been manageable so far. Discord, meantime, could have its eyes on going public this year. Bloomberg reports the social media platform is interviewing bankers about a possible direct listing. Discord, which was last valued at about $15 billion, is popular with gamers and young people. The company rejected a $12 billion takeover offer from Microsoft last year. And Grubhub has increased pay for drivers as high gas prices impact take-home earnings. Bloomberg says Grubhub raised the per mile pay on March 9th, according to an email sent to drivers. The company says the adjustment accounts for the average increase in the price of gas in a driver's region. It hasn't signaled whether that pay increase will be passed along to customers. Uber and Lyft have added a fuel surcharge to rides in a bid to help their drivers. 
This is a story of our time, Don. Just all these new increased costs starting to raise prices for all of us. Well, let's let's hope that fuel costs go the same way as crude oil does. A huge drop just over the last couple of weeks there. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We'll see you later on. Plans for implementing a global minimum corporate tax reform across the European Union is on the right track. This according to France's finance minister speaking ahead of the EU finance minister's meeting later on today. But plans for a global minimum corporate tax not slowing down one country known for its ultra low tax rates and ability to lure companies from all over into its borders. For more, let's bring in Martin Shanahan, the CEO of IDA Ireland. Uh, Martin, we've always spoken to you about this uh, coincidentally, or maybe not so, during St. Patrick's Day week. Uh, Welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Let's talk about the Irish investment environment right now. How does it differ today versus what it was like, say, 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah, well, Ireland obviously is a ultra-modern economy now. Uh, we have, uh, I suppose, all the sectors which underpin a modern economy, technology, pharma, medical technologies, international financial services. And I suppose we really saw the value of that over the past two years because the Irish economy continued to grow even in the midst of a pandemic. We have increased the amount of investment coming into Ireland over the past two years. And now as we emerge from covid um, uh, due to, I suppose, very high vaccination rates in Ireland and the way we've managed the pandemic, uh, I think the outlook on that side looks relatively strong. Obviously, there are other things happening now which are, are likely to have an impact on global flows of investment. But I think the uh, confidence in Ireland uh, will remain given our pro-enterprise policies, stability, predictability and talent availability. There's always been a portfolio approach Ireland has taken to luring businesses over there. But 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 the, the narrative over the last several years had been about just strictly the tax rates. What exactly has changed about that? What exactly is the big incentive right now, given the fact that everybody is moving towards more of a global minimum tax rate type story? Well, well, I think our narrative hasn't just been about tax. Uh, um, you know, uh, we have a very competitive tax rate at 12.5%. Uh, under the global agreement, that will move uh, to a minimum of 15%. That's where, you know, uh, we will now be, which I think is still a competitive uh, tax rate. Uh, I suppose Ireland was able to move because this is a global tax agreement and everybody is moving together at the, the, the same time. But there, there is so much more. And, you know, the number one discussion I have with investors is about uh, talent, the availability of talent. And that's where Ireland scores really well. But also that stability and predictability. And we can point to decades of return on investment from, for investors operating in Ireland who can set up and scale up quickly. Now, it's been very much a story about these large corporations, in my mind, covering this for, for, for years now. It was, it was mainly biotechnology, kind of healthcare pharma, and big technology type companies that have been the real draw. Where exactly are you seeing these flows? Is it still tilted towards pharmaceuticals, biopharma, and technology overall? Or are you seeing other types of companies express interest in foreign direct investment in Ireland right now? No, I think that I think they are the sectors uh, we excel in. Uh, you know, they have proven very strong for Ireland. As I said, I think they're the sectors which underpin the modern economy. We don't just target, I suppose, those large uh, brand names. And actually, many of those large companies uh, weren't uh, weren't as large as they are when they came to Ireland first. So we have a very strong flow of uh, companies that are internationalizing for the first time. Uh, so once they're taking that step outside of uh, the US or outside of their home country, Ireland is a natural place uh, to do that. Within 
within those sectors, there is a lot of movement. You know, we're looking at uh, advanced therapeutic and medicinal products in, uh, as a next wave of pharma. We're looking at connected autonomous vehicles. Uh, we are uh, looking at sustainability, uh, green finance uh, on the international financial services side. So there's sure. a lot of movement within those sectors. All right. Martin Shanahan at IDA Ireland taking us through the foreign direct investment story there. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you. Still on deck for the show, tracking a technical market signal that could mean a recession. A recession is possibly right around the corner. What one top-ranked investment advisor is telling his clients worried about the ongoing drawdown, that's coming up after this break. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Today marks Equal Pay Day, which symbolizes how far into the year women must work to earn what men earned in the previous year. And the Biden administration is announcing a new initiative to help close that gender and racial pay gap around this country. They include proposed new regulations banning the use of prior salary history in hiring and pay setting for federal employees and an executive order directing the Federal Acquisition Regulatory Council to consider enhancing pay equity and transparency for applicants and employees of federal contractors. This all happened at a virtual event today. The president and vice president will be joined by former U.S. national soccer players and CEOs to highlight the role that businesses can play in reducing the gender and racial pay gap in this country right now. Well, let's get to uh, check on this other morning's top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Dom, good morning to you. We begin with breaking news this morning. The man accused of stabbing two employees at a famed New York museum is in custody this morning. Philadelphia police arrested Gary Cabana just hours ago. Investigators believe the 60-year-old stabbed two staffers at the Museum of Modern Art Saturday. Both employees are expected to survive. Mainland China is facing its worst COVID-19 outbreak since the height of the pandemic in 2020. The city of Shenzhen is now under lockdown after more than 400 confirmed cases since late February. Non-essential businesses have been suspended. Automakers Toyota and Volkswagen, along with Apple supplier Foxconn, halted production until further notice. Saturday Night Live star Pete Davidson will go waitlist later this month. Davidson will be one of six passengers on Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin next flight. The launch is scheduled for March 23rd, so hopefully 
hopefully by that March 23rd date, Dom, that all that uh, distraction, I guess you would call it, between his current girlfriend, famous girlfriend, his soon, her soon-to-be uh, ex-husband will kind of die down because that's all the tabloid stuff that's uh, out there right now. I, I, I can't even keep up. I, I just know <laughs> that he's a celebrity and he's in a relationship with a famous person and now he's going to space. That's all we know. <laughs> Francis so Rivera, thank you very much for that. Well, still to come on the show, two days of peace talks doing little to slow down the Russian offensive in Ukraine. NBC's Molly Hunter is live on the ground in Ukraine, Molly. I'm in Lviv and I will have all the latest on peace talks, the overnight attacks in Kiev and the situation here in the west of the country when Worldwide Exchange comes back. Under pressure, stocks continuing to struggle as the S&P hits a concerning technical level for the first time in two years. The Fed in focus for investors as the central bank kicks off its latest policy meeting and lays out its rate hike roadmap while navigating inflation and growing economic challenges. And talks between Ukraine and Russia to end the ongoing war expected to resume today. This as President Biden Moles traveling to Europe to meet with NATO allies on the group's response to that Russian invasion. It's Tuesday, March 15th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how stock futures are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Right now, you can see the Dow is implied lower by roughly 152 points, the S&P lower by about 20, and the Nasdaq off by about 38. So we are off the worst levels of the session so far in that pre-market futures trade. We've got some troubling stats, though, from Bespoke Investment Group heading into the trading day today. With more than 12 percent losses year to date, the S&P is now seeing its fourth worst start to a year since its inception. And with a more than 2% loss yesterday and more likely losses today, the NASDAQ composite is now just three days away, three days from its longest correction phase since the great financial crisis. Now, let's recap the overnight action in Asia as well, as investors continue to punish mainland China stocks and Hong Kong shares as well, and the tech sector more broadly and more specifically. The Hang Seng is off by about five and three quarters percent. The Hang Seng Technology Index in Hong Kong finished down eight percent and nearly seven percent declines for the Hang Seng China Enterprise ETF, one of the bigger traded items there with regard to technology in that China tech trade. Plus, we've got another dramatic drop for the price of oil. Now, U.S. benchmark crude, $97.52. That's a 5% drop. You may recall that just within the last two weeks, we hit a near-term high of $130.50. We are now down to 97 in less than two weeks. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $101.20, off by about 5 and one-third percent as well. Now to the latest on the situation in Ukraine. Delegates from Ukraine and Russia are expected to resume peace talks later today after taking a technical pause in the discussions yesterday. Those talks coming as Russia continues its bombardment of Ukraine, carrying out shelling attacks, as you can see there, some of the photos from the shelling there, including in the capital city of Kiev. Now, amid that continued invasion by Moscow, the European Union announcing a fourth set of sanctions to punish Russia. The package targets, quote unquote, individuals and entities, along with sectors of the Russian economy, with the exact details yet to be announced. Meanwhile, CNBC has learned 
President Biden and other NATO leaders are discussing holding a meeting in Brussels next week. Details of that meeting are still being finalized right now. NBC News' Molly Hunter joins us now from Lviv in the western part of that country. And Molly, as we talk about the developments on the ground, is there a sense of optimism about these talks that people feel as though maybe we could see a ceasefire at some point? Yeah, maybe at some point being the operative words there, Dominic. I think uh, the technical pause yesterday, for those reading the tea leaves, for those following this closely, uh, had a shred of cautious optimism. It meant there was more runway to continue these talks. It meant that both sides wanted to or at least had more to discuss today. This is the fourth round, as I mentioned. Now, President Zelensky said the last round went, quote, pretty well. And the previous rounds have really focused on the humanitarian situation. We hear from the Ukrainian side that the talks today are going to focus much more on the latest um, ceasefire attempts in different areas, securing Russian troop withdrawals and establishing security guarantees. Now, according to the Russian side, there has been some suggestion that they might be nearing a draft. Dominic, this comes as the capital is getting intensified attacks overnight. Yesterday, they hit an apartment building with just civilians. It was not a military target. We also learned from the mayor of Kiev just now, Vitaly Klitschko, he just posted there is going to be a two-day curfew in the capital, starting at 8 p.m. tonight, lasting until 7 a.m. on March 17th. He says today is a difficult and dangerous moment. Therefore, I ask all citizens of Kiev to prepare for the fact that they will have to be at home for two days or in case of an alarm at a shelter. So there's a lot of talk now about what they might know in Kiev about Russian activities over the next two days. We'll be watching closely. So, so Molly, uh, we, we have a lot of focus on Kiev because it is the capital city for, and rightfully so. But tell us more about what's happening in places like Mariupol and cities to the south as well. That's right. On that Black Sea belt that Russians have been trying to consolidate as we have been talking about, the southeastern city of Mariupol has been besieged for more than 10 days. The Russians essentially trying to starve out a city of 450,000. There's been a humanitarian cargo convoy that we've been tracking over the last 72 hours. As of last night, it was stalled. It was blocked again. The information that we're getting this morning is that it is back en route. It is carrying water, medicine, essential supplies for those people uh, who desperately need supplies. Dominic, the good news is that we heard that private cars, a convoy of private cars, more than 150, got out overnight. That is essentially the first reports of a large number of civilians getting out of the city in the last two weeks. But the way these kind of temporary ceasefires are supposed to work is that the ICRC, ICRC brokers the talks between the two sides, humanitarian aid gets in, and civilians get out. Now, according to the Ukrainians, buses are standing by waiting at the edge of Mariupol, waiting to go in to pick up women, children, elderly. And as of now, that has not happened yet. Dominic. All right. Molly Hunter, live on the ground in Lviv, Ukraine. Thank you very much for that. Stay safe out there. Back to the markets now as investors. Attention turns to the Federal Reserve. Chair Jay Powell and the central bank kicking off the latest two-day policy meeting today with expectations the Fed will take the first steps to begin unwinding its massive economic stimulus efforts but that meeting coming amid signals of renewed stress with the war in Ukraine, as we just heard, signs of the economy slowing down and continued record high inflation. The question now appears to be how aggressive the Fed will be with all of its unwinding efforts. For more, let's bring in Priya Misra, TD Securities Managing Director and Global Head of Rate Strategy. Priya, uh, we've spoken a lot about this. Uh, this the, the Fed has to do what it has to do, but are the markets prepared for it? What have they already priced in? 
Sure. So the market's fully pricing in that 25 basis point hike tomorrow, which we do expect. Uh, we have priced in almost seven hikes uh, or 170 basis points. So 25 basis points or so six more after tomorrow have been priced in and then another two next year. I would say the market's pricing in very fairly in terms of uh, of the Fed hiking cycle. I think the, the the question is going to be, is the Fed talking about going restrictive? Are they going to talk about going above two and a half? The market's pricing in about 2.3 endpoint of the hiking cycle. The question, I think, in the dot plot in uh, in the press conference is all going to be, are they talking about going above uh, that two and a half percent? I think that's not priced in. We're also going to be watching around uh, quantitative tightening. You know, wh- when does that start? How quickly do they want to get the balance sheet lower? I think that's another uh, big focus point. And really the threshold around inflation. I mean, we know a lot of this inflation is not something the Fed created or that the Fed can actually slow down. So I think the market's going to be watching. Are they, uh, you know, do they want to get inflation down to 2% this year, next year? I think that tolerance for high inflation is going to be extremely important for risk assets because I think the market might feel a lot more confident if the Fed is okay with a little bit of an overshoot, as long as it's heading in in the right direction, because that reduces the chance of a policy mistake. So there's a lot. I think that first hike is, is not the market mover. It's going to be the dot plot, the communication about, you know, how far do they want to go and how quickly. So, so Priya, I, let's talk about that quantitative tightening discussion that you just brought up here. Is the market fully prepared for that? And how important is that QT or quantitative tightening component going to be for markets as opposed to the rate hike cycle that we are kind of forecasting right now? I'm glad you you bring that up because I think that's actually the one thing that's not priced in. I mean, I think the market's pricing in some probability of QT, but we have no details. We don't know what the caps will be. We don't know how quickly they want to ramp it up. Last time was a 12-month ramp up. Fed officials have been saying it'll be a faster ramp up to those terminal caps. But because we don't know a lot of the implementation details, I think the market has not fully priced it in. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's a key reason why I do have uh, uh, or, or our forecast for the 10-year is higher rates because once they do start that, I actually think QT has much more implications because the the Fed actually now at this point, they're not just reducing accommodation. They will be tightening policy. They'll be lowering the balance sheet. You know, banks need a certain amount of reserves. It's a non-linear effect. Remember fourth quarter of 2018. At some point, balance sheet is a lot more than hike. So I think, you know, as the market starts to price it in, as we get more details, I think that's going to put some pressure, but not so much on the front end of the curve. It's going to be the tenure. And remember, the the economy is much more sensitive to the tenure. So as the tenure starts to move higher, we've seen a little bit of that move, uh, you know, leading up to today. But as that gets closer to two and a half, 275, I think that starts to impact the economy, financial conditions. So QT is, I think, actually going to be far more powerful for the Fed. And that's the one that markets are going to be really focused on. All right. Priya Misra, TD, thank you very much for the rates outlook there. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, the sell-off in Chinese technology stocks continues with one major bank calling the sector uninvestable. We dive into if and when the wreck may wrap up. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. Tesla is raising prices on its vehicles in the U.S. and China for the second time in less than a week. The latest move comes after founder Elon Musk stressed the EV maker faces significant inflation pressures, as we just heard about. Discovery CEO David Zasloff saw a major pay increase last year, jumping to more than $246 million. That's according to a securities filing. Zasloff's package includes nearly $203 million in options grants. 
more than sextupling his compensation from the year prior. Meanwhile, Wells Fargo CEO Charles Scharf pay jumped 20% last year. Scharf earning $24.5 million as the bank recovered from its pandemic lows. And a group of private equity firms is reportedly in advance talks to buy Nielsen Holdings for about $15 billion, including debt. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Elliott Management is among those vying for the TV ratings company. Keep an eye on those shares. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to the show. Let's turn our attention back towards the Chinese technology sector sell-off. Mainland and Hong Kong indexes capping off another day of sharp losses, as you can see here, as investors continue to shun the space. Now, case in point, the Crane Shares CSI Chinese Internet ETF, the ticker KWEB, the KWEB, is coming off its worst single-day session ever and has now wiped out all of its gains, including dividend payments, since it actually started trading some nine years ago. That's one trade a lot of investors are watching. Take a look, though, at some of these big losses that we are talking about. These are, the, again, huge. Alibaba, Tencent, JD.com, Neo. You can see here, Alibaba down 67%. JD.com losing half its value. Baidu down 60%. Electric vehicle maker Neo down 31%. Tencent, Meituan. All of these names are brand names in China, and they are all taking deep hits. Joining me now is MSA Capital Managing Partner Ben Harburg and Global Data Head of Thematic Research is Cyrus Maywawala. Uh, Cyrus, thank you very much for being with us here as well. Uh, let, let's start with you. We've heard the term uninvestable apply to these Chinese Internet names. Do you believe that is an appropriate way to characterize what's happening with these Chinese tech, tech stocks right now? Thanks for calling me on your show, Dom. I, I think for the short term, I think that is an appropriate term. I think China's market is very difficult to invest now. The, the two big short-term factors sending it down, of course, are the Shenzhen lockdown uh, for the, because of China's zero COVID tolerance policy, uh, um, uh, you know, and the the, the regulatory uh, crackdown that, that that China's had with with. Uh, uh, you know, with with them being more interested in controlling uh, the tech sector and and making it clear to the world and the Chinese tech sector uh, who, who who's in charge. Longer term, however, you know, when is China tech going to come out of this? I think is a much more difficult question to answer, and that's because the Ukraine conflict has completely change the parameters of the global economy in which uh, we operate. Uh, you know, in 2019, economic growth was the number one market driver for share prices, both in the US and in China. Today, the number one driver is geopolitics. If you look at our thematic scorecards for all of the tech sectors, the big themes used to be artificial intelligence, cloud computing, Internet of Things, quantum computing. Today, the number one theme impacting tech is geopolitics. And the fact that China is increasingly siding with Russia, uh, at, you know, at, and may get involved militarily in terms of helping Russia, that means the world's bifurcating into two zones, a U.S. zone and an economic zone, and the Ukraine conflict has just exacerbated uh, and significantly increased the speed of that separation. For sure, Cyrus. I mean, for better and worse in that Chinese narrative with regard to it putting itself front and center, not just those old thematic elements, but the new geopolitical ones as well. Uh, ben Harburg, we have you now. Let's bring you to the conversation here. If you look at China right now, I mean, there have been multiple times when even I thought my, uh, to myself, it can't get any worse. The, 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 it has to show some stability. 
But it has been months and possibly maybe even years at this point since the downtrend began. Is there any sign that you'd be looking for that you would say, hey, maybe this is now a deep enough value where people can get back into Chinese investing? I'm not sure if we've hit bottom yet. And I think a lot of that depends on the outcome from the, uh, the, the Rome meetings and some of the posturing that China will make in the coming days with regard to their positioning with Russia. Uh, the, the, the causes for optimism, I would say, because it's, it's tough to be such right now, is um, one, obviously in a lot of these businesses, the fundamentals remain sound. Uh, China remains the world's largest homogenous market. Uh, many of these companies, in fact, actually have cash balances uh, near their actual current valuations. You saw today a raft of, of uh, upbeat economic data coming out of China, be that PMI, industrial outputs, fixed investment, retail sales. Um, and obviously, many of these companies are significantly undervalued historically uh, with kind of an average PE of about nine and a half relative to probably what's about fair at 12. So uh, what gives me more optimism, though, is that a lot of this is under the control of the Chinese government. It's not actually blowing in the wind here. So the Chinese government has a lot of bullets it can fire to improve the economy and stimulate growth. We don't have the same levels of inflation here as in the United States. We haven't printed as much money. Uh, we obviously have uh, much lower, in uh, much higher interest rates. Uh, the Chinese government can obviously choose to side with Western powers or at least remain neutral in this conflict and give some stability to markets in that way. And more importantly, for our, our view, is this issue of delisting and regulation. The Chinese government can signal that it is starting to have some light at the end of the tunnel and be very clear and predictable around its uh, listing frameworks, as well as uh, which companies will face regulatory intervention. And ultimately, it needs to decide with the United States which companies will be delisted and what that framework, again, is for data security and audits between American and, and Chinese listed companies. You know, you know, Cyrus, I mean, Ben brings up some excellent points here with regard to what China can do. The, the, the question is, why isn't China doing it? I mean, it's very focused on technology. It's arguably the future for China and its economy. Why is it acting like this and what's going to prompt them to stop its assault on, on its own technology companies? Uh, I think China is increasingly becoming uh, more self-reliant. That's part of its uh, uh, fi five-year plan. It wants to uh, it wants to be self-reliant in everything that it can possibly be. So in tech, that means getting more uh, uh, more of a semiconductor, especially a high-end semiconductor supply chain. Obviously, obviously, there's some areas where uh, it has to import uh, uh, commodities uh, uh, to do that. But I think uh, China. It, but ha having considered that. As I said, geopolitics, in, in particular domestic politics in China, is pretty strong. President Xi came out very strong uh, a, a year ago when the tech regulatory uh, crackdown started. He said social cohesion is the number one factor driving his uh, decisions. And therefore, I think the regulatory crackdown will continue. In particular, the Chinese government is interested in having a greater control of data and making sure that data is, uh, can be used by the Chinese government. And it's also interested in directing the decision-making uh, of China. Chinese tech companies. Uh, increasingly, you'll, you'll see Chinese government officials sitting on Chinese tech companies, bo uh, uh, companies' boards. And what that means is over the long term, perhaps China's uh, tech market growth is not going to be uh, as great uh, as the U.S. All right. Thanks very much to you, Cyrus Maywala, and, and to Ben Harburg as well for those Chinese thoughts. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back right back with more on the show here with, again, market thoughts going to a trading day on day one of this big Fed interest rate meeting. We'll be right back after this. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and back to the markets right now. Futures are showing some improvement marginally over the course of the last hour. The Dow Jones Industrial Average now implied lower by just about 98 points. The S&P lower by 12 and the Nasdaq just down by about 22 points. The markets are showing continued signs of struggle, though, with the S&P 500 logging its first so-called death cross in two years. The index is down now more than 12 percent so far this year. As you can see, it's medium term moving average, the 50 day average price on a rolling basis. Again, a 44.63 closed below its descending 200-day moving average or longer-term trend line of 44.67. When it does cross that shorter term below the longer term, it could be a bearish sign and underperformance in the long term can be a predictor possibly of recession at some point. So let's dive into all of this. Death crosses, charts, relative strength, with Greg Sarian, founder and CEO of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower. Greg, do you care? Is the, is the death cross something that in your mind is something to pay attention to, or do you feel it's just noise at this point? Good morning, Don. Thanks for having me back. I think that's one of many things to pay attention to. Add to it persistent inflation, record high energy prices. There's a lot of wind in the face of markets, and I think investors need to prepare for more volatility in a flatter return environment going forward. So if that's the case, how exactly do you navigate this kind of environment? You know, people talk about whether you should have, you know, dry powder ready to deploy, whether you should have some cash on the sidelines. But is now the time to be raising cash or has that time already passed and you're kind of just sitting there in a holding pattern? Uh, Great question, Dom. I think now is the time, first and foremost, to investors for investors to assess their equity allocation. Are they really comfortable with the stocks they own, the exposure they have? We continue to see many investors exposed to what worked well the last few years, but may not work as well the next few years. So it's important in our view to own high quality, cash rich, dividend paying companies with low debt. Uh, We think that's super important. The bond portfolio, Dom, I think interest rates rising, the Fed's meeting this week, that's going to pose as big of a challenge to equity market volatility to investors. We think investors should focus on high-quality ladder munis and corporates. And don't forget private investments here, Don. The, the, uh, the lack of that mark-to-market focus makes private equity, private real estate, a very important holding in investors' portfolios, lowers correlation, adds an element of diversification. Can we, can we go, Greg, back to the, to, the, to the companies and the stocks that you said are, are you know, low debt, higher cash positions, stronger balance sheet, dividend payers? Which ones, which ones are you looking at right now? Yeah, so we, we like energy companies. We like financial companies right now in a rising rate environment. We've got exposure to IWD, which is the uh, large cap Russell 1000 index. And I think it's important that that investors focus on companies that pay good dividends. If we're in a a muted return environment in terms of appreciation, investors want to have that mix of dividend income in their portfolio as well. All right. Strong balance sheets, low leverage. Greg Sarian, thank you very much for the market thoughts. We appreciate it. Have a good day, sir. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Check out what's happening right now with the futures picture. It is slightly improving right now. The Dow is implied lower by just about 140. Okay, well, it turned a little bit now in the the last couple of seconds here. But the S&P 500 down about 19 points in the NASDAQ, slightly doing better than it has been over the last couple of weeks, implied lower by 46. Check out also what's happening with some other parts of the market. Key to investors today, the Asian markets closed mixed. 
but generally it's been about Chinese weakness. You can see the Hang Seng in Hong Kong closed down nearly 6%. The Shanghai Composite down about 5%. Meanwhile, the Nikkei in Japan was marginally positive. And energy markets, a close eye on U.S. benchmark crude prices, now below $97 per barrel. Remember, $130 plus in just the last couple of weeks. World benchmark Brent crude futures, $100. Keep it right here. Squawk Box picks up all the market coverage coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.